Good morning. We are so glad you're at Central Church. We're in this new sermon series that Pastor Amanda kicked off last Sunday called Odd Man In. Those individuals, those groups that have at times felt like outcasts or or on the fringe or outliers or not always welcome in society or in the church. And we're talking about how Jesus, he welcomes everybody. Everybody, 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 everybody. For God so loved the world, everybody in the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do you know May is Mental Health Awareness Month? What does the Bible say about mental health wellness? Now, if you think the Bible is full of stories that have their life all together, and people who never have problems, never have issues, never have, you know, any of those troubles, then you haven't read your Bible lately. Because the Bible is chock full of stories of people who struggled with mental health wellness. And I'm not talking just about, you know, the demon-possessed people, not talking about Saul when he's meeting with a witch. I mean regular people, people like you and me. In fact, even heroes in the Bible deal with mental health wellness. Uh, The big, fat, juicy lie, again, one of the schemes of Satan, is to, to get us to think that we're the only one that struggles, we're the only one that battles some of these things. Well, that is simply not true. You look, think of some of the heroes of the Bible. David, you can't read the book of Psalms. You can't read the Psalms without recognizing that David had some real struggles. Jeremiah, why is it, what's his nickname? The weeping prophet. Why is he weeping? Because he is struggling. You know, even Jonah, Jonah and the whale, Jonah, Jonah ends up, the, you read the book of Jonah. We're going to be in the book of Jonah in, in the fall. But you read the book of Jonah, he ends up, you know, he's having a mental health crisis is where the book ends, not where it begins. There are plenty of good people, good Christian people, that struggle with mental health wellness. And it's in, the, it's, in, it's in the news today. This sermon couldn't be more relevant, you know. Naomi Judd, her family put out, uh, died yesterday, her family put out, she struggled with mental health and mental illness. It's a real issue. I think I've, I've, I've done, uh, this is off-sermon off manuscript. I've done more funerals of people who have committed suicide. In my eight and a half years here, I sent a thing out this week, I've been here longer than any other place. So in my eight and a half years, I've done more suicide funerals than in the previous 23 years or whatever it's been, combined. And I think, I, this is anecdotal, I don't have any hard data on this, but these last two years have made things worse not better. And people have struggled with with mental wellness more in the last two years than in in many cases than they ever have in their entire life. And so what do we do? What do we in the church do about that? They just say, well, that's too bad for them. I'm doing okay. Or do we say, wait a minute, we're a part of the body of Christ. And we're going to come alongside you. We're, we're, we're not, we're not, we're not going to just let you flounder. We're not just going to let you, you know, figure it out. Key word from last week's sermon, together. We're in this together. Mental health, wellness. Ment- Folks dealing with depression. Let's just get real serious. Folks who deal with real t- depression, clinical depression. That's not sin. They're human. People who deal with, and we're not going to have time to get into to, uh, 
you know, all the things of mental illness, people who deal with mental illness, that's not sin, that's a disease. And we in the church need to recognize that. It used to be something that, we, you know, was so taboo, we didn't talk about it. Well, maybe we need to talk about it. Maybe we need to address it. Maybe we need to say something about it. Now, we've, again, I'm not going to give you a one, two, three, uh, here you go, you follow these three steps and you'll never have to deal with it again. We believe in Christian counselors. We believe in medications when properly prescribed and taken. We also believe there'll be some steps you can take to help. We're going to talk about that. And we believe that God can heal. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But for the church, for us, say we're not going to throw people off to the wayside. We're not going to, you know, one of the criticisms of the church is, oh, the church is the Lord's army. They're the only ones that shoot their wounded. And sometimes that's been true. And we need to say, wait a minute, if you're struggling, if you're battling with, with some of these mental health wellness issues, whether it's depression or deep loneliness or deep grief or mental illness or confusion or problems, we're saying that's not sin, that's being a human being. One that was created in the image of God. And you're not the odd man out. You're not the fifth wheel. You're not the, you know, the oddball. You're one of us. And as part of being one of us, that means we're going to come alongside you and we're going to love you and we're going to help you. We may not have all the answers, but we can, we can be there with you. Can't we do that? That's what this is talking about. It's saying we are with you. Jesus, what did he say when he came to the disciples, both on Easter evening and then the week after to, to, to Downing Thomas? The first thing out of his mouth, peace be with you. I'm convinced that Jesus wants you to have peace. And I'm also convinced that he wants the church of Jesus Christ to come alongside one another. Well, we need to be that kind of church. We, the, you know, when, when we had Celebrate Recovery, right now we don't have it in our church, but when we have it, one of their key things was if you your hurts and habits and hang-ups, you are welcome. We need to be that type of people. Because good people, good Christian people struggle with some of these issues. Heroes in the Bible. Remember, remember the story of Job? Job was, was, was one who certainly struggled with mental health wellness, and, and Satan came to God, though, and said, said God, you know... Uh, what you've got here, you, you put on a good show, but people really don't love you and they, and, and they really don't fear you. That's my translation of Job chapter 1. And, and God says, oh yeah? Have you seen, have you seen my, my dude Job? He's, I mean, that dude, he's a super, uber follower of you. Well, that, that's, again, my translation. The real translation is, if I can get it here real quick, the real translation is, God says this, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless, upright man who fears God and shuns evil. If you have that endorsement on your resume from God Almighty, no one on the whole planet, Job is the goat. He's the greatest of all time. And Satan comes back and says, oh, sure. I follow you too if you, if you, if you back the, the, the Knox, you know, for Knox up to me. Job, you've given him everything. You've bribed him. That's why he's so good. You've bribed him. And, and God was ready for Satan's response. And he says, okay. Job's true blue. It's not about the stuff he has. He's following me. And you know the story. 
You know, Job loses everything. He loses his, his, his well-being. He loses his lucrative livestock business. He loses his house. He loses his, his health. Loses his family. He loses everything. And it gets so bad, you know, in chapter 2, Job's wife comes to him and says, just curse God and die. Oh, thank you very much, honey. I love you too. And his friends come up to him and say, oh, the reason you're going through this is because you're this deep, dark sinner. That's why you're going through this, Job. You're this rotten person. We have some friends that are struggling. They have uh, struggling with their, their daughter, teenage daughter. And it's gotten really, really bad. And they've had to, you know, go to the, you know, it's just a hardship. And some of their family have come to them and said, oh, you know, the reason you're going to, instead of supporting them, caring for them, loving them, realizing the, the, the crisis that their family's in, you know, the reason you're doing this is because you've been lousy parents, is basically what they said. Not very helpful. That's Job's friends. And Job's response to all this is in chapter 13, when he simply says, though he slay me, yet I, my hope is in him. All I got is God Almighty, is what Job is saying. He's who I'm going to hold on to. I don't know what all's going on, but I'm holding on to God. And you know how the story goes in Job, right? He's found faithful and, he, and everything. He gets his stuff back. He gets his livestock back. He doesn't get his kids back. He gets more kids, but not those kids. And so that's always kind of a weird part of the story. And the, and the question that Job is, is asking, the whole book, is why does, why does bad things happen to good people? That's the struggle. And that's what we're really... Tr- in the context of today, why do good people, good Christian people, not evil, rotten, horrible, you know, sinner people, I mean good people, why do they battle depression? Why do they experience deep loneliness? Why do they have mental illness? Why do they even have suicidal thoughts and actions? Good people, hear me, good people can be confused, they can be weary, they can be worn out, they can be at the end of the rope. Good Christian people can have all those things come upon them. Take Elijah, another Old Testament hero. Remember Elijah. Talk about a hero. You would think, okay, if anybody's not going to have mental wellness issues, it's going to be Elijah. Uh, He is, he he goes to King Ahab and says, no more rain for you. No more rain for him. He's kind of like the soup Nazi. Uh, He races a a chariot down a mountain, King Ahab's chariot down the mountain, and he wins. He wins. He prays for a boy, and the boy is raised from the dead. He goes and visits a widow who doesn't have anything. They're about to starve, and he prays, and they get food, or they get oil and and flour every day until they need it, an endless supply. And the kicker of all kickers, he goes against 450 prophets of Baal. Remember, they had this contest, and the 450 prophets, they're all praying for, for their gods to send fire. Of course, they're praying to nothing, and so nothing happens. They say all these words, pray all these prayers, nothing happens. Elijah gets up, says, pour water on the altar, keep pouring, pour, 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 more water, one more water, drench it, so it's impossible to light. And he prays a 58-word prayer, yes, I counted, a 58-word prayer, and And he wipes out all those 450 prophets. I mean, you, he is a hero among heroes. Maybe the, one of the great heroes of the Bible. Surely he would not be struggling with mental health wellness. First Kings chapter 19, this is what it says. 
Now Ahab told Jezebel, Jezebel's the queen, evil, rotten, dirty Jezebel, told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword, 450. So Jezebel, dirty, rotten, evil Jezebel, sends a message to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me. (laughs) The phony baloney gods couldn't do anything, right? May the gods deal with me. Who cares? May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not take, make your life like one of them. And so you'd expect our hero to say, who cares? You're phony, phony, gods can't do anything. You th- I just wiped out 450 prophets. You think I'm scared of you? You, you know, you're dirty, rotten, evil Jezebel. You kidding me? But that's not what verse 3 says. Verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. This great hero who outran the chariot, who defeated 450 prophets, who raised a kid from the dead. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Remember one of Satan's schemes? Get you alone, get you alone. When you're alone, you're most vulnerable. Get you alone, get you alone. He, I don't know why he left his servant there. Dumb Elijah. And he went on a day's journey and came into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush, bush. That's not, I'll take a whisk broom, please. It's just kind of like a mushroom type of plant, brush, tree. And sat down under it. And here we go, mental health crisis. And prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. I think what's happening here is Elijah is just exhausted. You know, he's just gone through all this stuff with the 450 prophets of Baal and that big mountaintop experience, but he is just wiped out. And he takes off and he goes at it alone. Again, bad strategy. And he gets in the wilderness and he simply said, I, I, I can't take it anymore. Even good Christians can dip to a point where they say, I can't take it anymore. I'm just wiped out. I'm spent. So much is going on. So many stressors in my life. God, I'll just, just, just take me to heaven. Notice what he did. So he lays down and goes to sleep. It's always good to get proper rest. This isn't going to heal your mental uh, uh, health issues, but it's, it's going to help. And at once, an angel, angel came to him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there was, by his head, some baked bread over hot coals in a jar of water. And he ate and drank them and laid down again. It's good to get proper rest, and it's good to eat properly, right? Let's read on. And the angel of the Lord came to him a second time, touched and said, get up and eat, eat some more. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days, 40 nights and reached Horeb, the mountain of God. So he ate, he drank, he exercised, went on a 40-day hike, right? So those things are all helpful. And where did he go? He went to Mount Horeb. Where's Mount Horeb? Mount Horeb in the Bible is also called Mount Sinai, same mountain. Mountain of God, same place. What happened on Mount Sinai? That's where Moses went, got the Ten Commandments. So it's not hard to figure out in Elijah's mind, all right, I'm spent, 
I'm wiped out. He ate, he drank, exercised. I got to meet with God. And so where does he go? Most holy place he can remember. I got to go to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, where God came to Moses. And so that's what he does, right? He goes up there and he, and he meets with God. And, and the Bible says in, in verse 9, the word of the Lord came to him. Verse 9, this is what God says, ready? What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replies, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. And the Israelites, they've rejected, they have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death by the sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. This stinks, God. This really stinks. The one thing I like, the one thing I like about this response is that Elijah was super honest with God. You can be honest with God. Was, was Elijah telling God something he didn't already know? No, of course not. God already knew what was going on, but he's verbalizing it. This is where I'm at. He's verbalizing it. So often we try to hide, keep stuff inside. We're all alone. We keep it inside. We let it eat at us, eat at us, eat at us, eat at us. It doesn't help. No, we need to, we need to verbalize. And he was verbalizing it. This is what it is. And it stinks. And you remember what happens? So God says to him, comes to him and says in verse 11, go out and stand on the mountain. And, and, and in the presence of the Lord, it's going about to pass by. And so he goes out. And you remember what happens first. This huge wind comes through, right? He's waiting to hear from God. And it's rotten. And, you know, this huge mighty wind. Have you seen the, the tornado that went through, through by Wichita? You know, it's just crazy. And this wind is coming through. Crazy. What's the Bible say? Verse 11. But the Lord was not in the wind. And so next is an earthquake, right? Scary. Have you ever been in an earthquake? It's a little bit scary. Things are falling off the wall. Earthquake's going on. Verse 11. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And so he, he, he's still standing there and this fire comes through. Massive fire. Remember, it was fire. It was fire that Moses heard, the burning bush, right? God spoke through the fire. And, and just recently in Elijah's life, God came with a fire at that altar. Surely God's going to speak through the fire. Verse 12, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then what happens? But after, after the fire came a gentle whisper. And while Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Listen, when you've been close to God, when you've been in his word, you've been praying, when, when you hear the voice of the Lord, you'll know it. And sometimes people say, I, I haven't heard from God. Listen, you, uh, Pastor Amanda said this last week. We're repeating each other. When you spend time in God's word and you spend time praying... And the Lord speaks, you're going to know it. And Elijah knew it. And what's God say? Guess what he says? The exact same thing he said the last time. What are you doing here, Elijah? And guess what Elijah says? The exact same thing he said last time. Except, you know, the Bible, you can't read tone, you can't read tone, you can't read tone. Only can read words. I think there's a different tone between these two. I think the first time, before the fire and earthquake and wind and gentle whisper, before all that, you know, Ur, God, Ur, this is where I'm at. And this time, he says, oh, Lord. Man, oh, man, I've been, I've been so zealous for you, Lord Almighty. 
But the Israelites, they've rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They put your prophets to the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're going to kill me too. I'm spent. And guess what God does? God doesn't smack him around. God doesn't say, Elijah, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Elijah, what's wrong with you? You wiped out 450 prophets of Baal. You prayed and raised a kid from the dead. You provided a a, a flower and oil for that poor old widow. You did all these great things. You kidding me? Come on, Elijah. He doesn't say that. But he does give him some marching orders. This is what you need to do, Elijah. You need to go here. You need to meet these folks. You need to get here together and let's move forward. my point to all this people people get weary and people get worn out and we've had a couple years of COVID and and some of you are dealing with just life aging parents or or kids that are making poor choices and and getting to the point of mental health crisis life has thrown you some curveballs like Job you're spent like Elijah What's left? Well, there's a great story, one of my favorites. It's in Luke chapter 7, where Jesus goes to, to he, he's just walking by, and there's a funeral taking place in the city called Nain. And Jesus quickly discovers that, that the only son of a widow has died, which in those days was terrible. That's terrible news. When the only son, because widows, widows, only, there was no social security. Their only security was their, their kids would take care of them. Well now, well now, this poor widow who's had to bury her husband is now having to bury her only son. And no doubt in the crowd there are plenty of whispers, this isn't fair, this isn't fair, what's going to happen to her, this isn't fair, this isn't right. And Jesus shows up. And the Bible says this, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. The Greek word there for his heart went out for her is spangla, spangla, that's how you have to say it. It sounds, like, it sounds like something you would do after you ate bad pizza. Oh, man, I spangled last night. It was terrible. It was terrible. That's the word. And that's really not a bad translation. Because in the first century, they thought the seat of your emotions was in your stomach. It's that feeling you get when, when you, know, you hear terrible news. And the doctor walks in and says, cancer. When, when you look up in your rearview mirror and there's you know, flashing lights. When, when, when you know, things are bad and you get that pit in your stomach. Oh, that's what's going on. So his heart went out for her. Really, it's spangla. He's feeling it. And he says to her, don't cry. And then he went up and touched the bier, which is, uh, 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 some versions say coffin. The one on your screen says coffin. It really isn't a coffin. It's more like a stretcher where they put the, the dead body and carry it out. Which was a no-no, by the way. You weren't supposed to touch it. You know, it made you unclean. You weren't supposed to touch the dead bodies. You weren't supposed to touch things that the dead bodies were touching. She just went up, slapped it. Hesitate. And he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and he talked and he gave him back to his mother, and they were filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people. Usually I tell tell students, you know, don't listen to the crowd. This time listen to the crowd. God has come to help his people. Hear me. You are not alone. If you're dealing with just life, if you're spent, if you've gotten a bad diagnosis, if you're worried and fearful, if depression has gripped you, if you're dealing with deep, deep loneliness, 
If you're struggling with mental illness, I mean diagnosed mental illness, and people, you know, it seems like they're avoiding you because of some of the things that you're dealing with. You are not the odd man out. You are not the odd one out. There is a Savior. There is one that loves you and cares for you and created you in His image. And He doesn't cast you out. He welcomes you in. He doesn't say, I'm done with you. He says, let's go through this together. He doesn't want you to just wallow in your own situation. He wants you to be to know that there's one that loves you. And He calls the church of Jesus Christ to come alongside as well. There used to be an old song. It was a terrible song. It's not in the hymn book, praise the Lord. Sometimes people pick on new songs. Oh, they have bad theology. Well, there's some old hymns that have bad theology. And one of those old hymns was called, I asked my home group, if any of them had ever heard it, only Pat Stone, Pat Rondell had heard this song, Jesus and Me on the Jericho Road. It's a terrible song. I mean, of course we need Jesus. Yes, 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 we need Jesus. But that song is basically saying, I don't need the church. I don't need you. I got, you know, all I, I got Jesus. That's all I need. No, it's a terrible song. Jesus created the church. Why? So that we might come along people. So that they might know, yes, we have Jesus. But I've got others that have my back. We're going to be that three-chord type of, of situation here where we're caring for one another and loving one another. And when they're going through it, we're not going to say, you're on your own, pal. We're going to say, you, we got your back. And so does Jesus.